Some of you probably know that uh, the Lord's Prayer appears in Luke's Gospel, which we've just read, but it also appears in Matthew's Gospel. And I thought it'd be interesting if I can remember which button to press. One on the side? No, it's a timer. That one. Yes. Middle one? Okay. Have you ever wondered why the Bible has four Gospels? Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John? I don't know whether you've wondered about that. Some people tried to combine them all uh, early on in the, in the centuries, in the history of the church. Uh, and so they made them into one sort of composite Gospel, but it didn't really work very well. Matthew and Mark and Luke, the first three, are very similar in their approach as they tell the story of Jesus. And so they're called the Synoptic Gospels because they have the same way of looking at things. That's really what synoptic means. John is quite different in lots of ways, uh, and I think that's because John wanted to teach the gospel to unbelievers, particularly to Jewish people. Uh, but the synoptics were primarily, I think, for use of the church. I mean, there's, there's not hard and fast like that, but I think that's the, the basic difference. So as I say, the Lord's Prayer appears in two of the synoptic gospels, Matthew and Luke. They're very similar, so let's have a look at them side by side. Nothing's happening. Am I pressing the right button? Ah, there's Luke and there's Matthew. So let's go through it line by line. So Luke says, just Father. Matthew says, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, hallowed be your name. Same, isn't it? Your kingdom come. Matthew's a little bit more expansive. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But if you think about it, your kingdom come includes all of that. Luke is very much more concise. He's, he's, he doesn't, well, I was going to say he doesn't waste words, but that's not really the right way to, to say it, I don't think. Uh, Matthew wants us to sort of understand what the coming of the kingdom is about. It's about God's will being done, isn't it? It's about God actually being king, the one in charge. And it happens in heaven, and it's going to happen in earth, on earth. Give us each day our daily bread. Matthew says, give us today our daily bread. These are genuine differences in the Greek text. They're not just translation things. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts. If you think about it, particularly if you look at the the Ten Commandments, it's possible to sort of see the Ten Commandments as each one of them being a kind of theft. We're stealing from God his right to be God. We mustn't worship any other gods. We mustn't take away from God. Uh, And so on. Do not steal is an obvious one. But all the other ones are also about taking things from other people. So I think Matthew's got, uh, sorry, I mean Luke has got something quite significant when he talks about forgive us our sins. But Matthew talks about forgiving us our debts, what we owe, because we've taken things For we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and as we have forgiven our debtors. So there's the two prayers side by side. Each version appears in the story of Jesus. Matthew's version is part of the Sermon on the Mount. 
And so it was to a very public audience out in the open air. Luke's version, if you look at the context of Luke, it's given in a very private situation where Jesus is talking to his disciples. Jesus is already on his own praying and his disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us how to pray. So it's, it's a bit different. But it's what follows on from these two versions of the Lord's Prayer that I want us to sort of concentrate on a little bit. And that's what we're going to concentrate on later as we uh, come to the reflection part of the service. Can't get this to work. Here we go. Oh, we're not finished yet. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one or from evil. There we go. So. Am I not pointing this in the right place? It's over there, is it? Okay. So Matthew, Matthew picks up on forgiveness. And these, these are the words of Jesus. There we go. Jesus says after the, after the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. But Luke has a different, completely different slant. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus picks up on a completely different part of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and it's, it's about asking for the things that we need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And that's the, that's the emphasis that I want us to think about today. We're not going, I'm not going to actually preach through the Lord's Prayer as such. But we're going to think about what Jesus was saying about asking God for the things we need. So... So we've already seen that there are two versions of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew and Luke respectively and they're very similar. But the way in which Jesus follows up each of those versions is quite different. And by the way, the bit that we usually tack on the end, uh, you know, for the kingdom, this is the sort of more recent version, for the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever, amen. Uh, This doesn't appear in either of those Gospels, nor anywhere else in Scripture, as far as I can see, nor incidentally in the Catholic version of the Lord's Prayer, the Paternoster. Uh, So our Roman Catholic friends are more scriptural than we are in this particular respect. thought you might like to know that. But let's just backtrack a little bit and think about prayer. What is prayer? There's a few ideas. I've got quite a few books on prayer, maybe you have too. Some are more helpful than others, I may say. Uh, And by the way, if you don't pray as a regular part of your devotional life, no book, however good and helpful, will be of much use to you. If you want to learn to pray, you need to get on and do it. But most books about prayer will go to great lengths Uh, to spell out that prayer is basically communicating with our Heavenly Father through the agency of Jesus, the Son, 
and all in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of these authors who write these books will take you through a number of steps, often using the Lord's Prayer as a kind of structure or framework to show how prayer isn't just about presenting our shopping lists to God, but that it should have elements of worship, praise, thanksgiving, these things here. Oops, never mind. Oh, thank you. Intercession, praying for others, interceding for the needs of others, for needs not our own as well. And sadly, it's just like the word worship. It's jammed again. There we go. Just like the word worship, prayer can also become a sort of all-embracing thing that includes everything we ever do in relation to God. And it becomes meaningless. I don't know whether you've ever come across that, you know, a book or a sermon about worship includes so much, you wonder what worship really is. And it's the, it can be the same with prayer. Uh, most books on prayer, and it has to be said, I suspect most sermons on prayer, tend to minimise the emphasis that Jesus himself places on it here. Because here in Luke's Gospel, he focuses what he has to say about prayer as asking for things. The shopping list stuff. The things we need. It's okay, folks, to ask God for what we need. And I think you need to just get that. Of all the other things that prayer is about, this is what Jesus wants to focus on. And I hope you find that liberating. And Jesus goes on to teach about how God loves to give good gifts to his children. And how generous he is. Jesus loved to tell stories, loved to tell parables. And here are two in the passage that we read. This is the first one. The first story is meant to illustrate the importance of persistence when we pray. How many of us ask God for something? It might be for guidance on a particular issue. It might be about the healing of someone near and dear to us. It might be about global issues like uh, famine or the persecuted church. Could be all kinds of things, but when we don't receive an immediate answer, we do we give up? Do we forget to keep praying for those things? And here Jesus is encouraging us to keep at it until we get an answer. Can you imagine yourself doing this? Knocking on your friend's door in the middle of the night to ask for bread because you've been caught short. Would you do that? You would? Okay. I'm glad I don't live near you. <laughs> most of the time, I think most of us would. I don't know. We'd think about it and we'd, we'd think twice about it, certainly. But we wouldn't need to, would we? Because all of the major supermarkets are open all hours. All, we, all you've got to do is jump in your car and tear off to Morrison's or Tesco's, whichever is your preference, and get what you need there. But maybe it's a holiday when the stores aren't open and the convenience stores are inconveniently shut. Maybe your credit card is maxed out. Would you have the brass neck to knock up your neighbour? Jesus says it's a friend, actually. I don't know. I guess I, I wouldn't. about you? Would you? But even that, I suppose, is a, is a kind of sad reflection on the society we live in. If you've ever lived or travelled in the Middle East, and I'm sure it's true of lots of places, Africa, all over the world, apart from the good old UK probably, 
Um, I'm sure you'll know just how important hospitality is in those countries. Indeed, to our way of thinking, an awful lot of time can be wasted, and that's in inverted commas, just taking up offers of that Eastern hospitality or African hospitality or wherever it is. We just want to get on with the day we've planned, don't we? But our Syrian or Egyptian or Palestinian friends just want to hang out and pass the day in, in fellowship. And that's more like the culture that Jesus and his friends were used to. So maybe it wasn't a totally impossible prospect to knock on your friend's door in the middle of the night, but it wasn't something you would do without very good reason, nevertheless. there eventually but it gets worse doesn't it you've managed to wake up your friend you've disrupted the tranquility of the whole family and he shouts from behind his locked door go away and I can imagine what most of us would do we'd just go away wouldn't we well I think we would some of the responses I've been getting I'm not actually sure but I'm talking about myself, you know. We'd make a mental note to apologise in the morning, of course we would. But this is a very different culture. In for a penny, in for a pound. And you persist, and you won't take no for an answer. But your shameless audacity wins the day. And a hand comes round the door with the loaves of bread that you're asking for so that you can feed your untimely visitors and your friend goes back to bed not best pleased with you but you've got what you set out for bread for the midnight table so God's like that isn't he is he is that what Jesus is saying this is how God treats us is Jesus saying that God will begrudgingly give you what you've asked for no of course he isn't saying that God is generous. Yes, please. Twice. And again. Thank you. All God wants of us is that we ask. He's not going to withhold from us the things that he actually wants to give us. He may test our faith... And we may need to keep asking, but he doesn't do that because he is mean or stingy. He does it because he knows what is best for us. Once again, please. Thank you. And I think this is one of the amazing things about God. I guess some of us might think that God ought to just give us the things we need without the need to ask. After all, he knows what we need. And I guess he does that sometimes, especially when we don't realise what we need. But in the day-to-day run of things, he wants to train us into understanding what things are needed, what's important. And then he wants us to engage with him. Once more, please. I'm going to give up with this. Thank you. (laughs) Those of us who are parents... Just love it when our kids ask for things, don't we? On the whole. And I'll come on to that a little bit more later on. 
It's something about developing and deepening our relationship with our kids. When the children can come to mum and dad and say, please, can I have, oh, I don't know, um, a new game console or something like that. It doesn't say much for the child-parent relations when the parent just showers the child with lots of stuff that he or she has never even thought of needing or even wanting. God wants engagement with us, his children. And what's more, he wants us to be confident in our asking, especially as when our walk with him deepens. We understand more of his heart and just get to know how he wants to bless us with his father love. God is not mean or awkward at all. He's amazingly generous. All he wants of us is that we grow in confidence and ask for the things we need. And as we do that more and more, we'll gain insight into what is appropriate for us to ask for. And maybe our faith will deepen so that we'll chance our arm a bit and ask for things that maybe we think might just be off the agenda. Taking steps of faith, taking risks with God. Like I said earlier, all this comes through the doing. If we seldom or never pray asking God for things we need, we'll never know what it is to be on the inside track of God's love and generosity. Did you notice how Jesus prefaced the words of the prayer? He said, when you pray, when you pray. Next slide, please. Not if you pray, but when you pray. He expects us to petition him, to ask him for things. What an amazing God we have. So Jesus says to you and me, please, next one. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. But there's more. Going back to the way we relate to our kids, I guess there have been times when what we've given them at Christmas or their birthdays perhaps have just not been quite the right thing. Uh, the other day while I was listening to the car radio, I might have been over my, on my way over here I think, I caught a young girl complaining that her parents never used to give her the presents she wanted. I don't know how old she was, I think she was about 8, 9, 10, something of that kind of age. And what she used to get, she was complaining that she she used to get things like Barbie dolls or something similar. Something appropriate for her age and interests or so her parents thought. But what she really wanted, because all the other kids at school had got them, was a Blackberry. Now we've all heard it, haven't we? All the other children have got one. Ever heard that? Never heard that? I'd be surprised if you have if you've never heard it. And if you've ever fallen for that one, you have my sympathy. Of course they haven't all got blackberries. Some of the better off kids may have them, but not all. And at that age, is that really the most helpful and appropriate gift to put into the hands of a very young, perhaps naive little girl? Who knows who will try to contact her or what websites she might stumble onto. And I don't think a Blackberry is an appropriate gift for a girl that age. That's me. You might disagree. I don't care. But I'm not sure a Barbie doll is either. So as, as, as a parent, it's hard for us to get it right, isn't it? But God always gets it right. 
Can you imagine what life would be like if God gave us everything we thought we would like to have? Hard to imagine, I think. But Jesus' second story drives this lesson home. Next slide, please. Sometimes we play tricks on our kids. After all, that is one of the perks of being a parent. Embarrassing our kids or letting them squirm for a moment or two. And as they get teenagers, it gets even more of a a perk. But most of us are basically loving and kind parents, even so, despite that. And we wouldn't want to disappoint them, would we? And we have to hold up our hands. We are evil. The Bible says so. We're not perfect anyway, but just as Jesus says, we do know, on the whole, how to give good gifts to our children. How much more, then, will our perfect Heavenly Father give good gifts to us? That's how Matthew puts it, more or less. In Matthew 7, verse 11, next, please. If you then, though you are evil... Sorry, I must have... Um, next one. Oh, okay. Hold it there. If you then, though you are evil now to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? But here's another difference between Matthew and Luke. What does Luke say in the same kind of place? Verse 13, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Isn't that the very best gift of all? And that brings us back to what I was saying before about God wanting the kind of relationship with us that shares a mutual understanding of what is best for us and so that we know what we should ask for. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings wisdom and understanding through our deepening relationship with the Father. I think I'm catching up. Yeah, just leave it there. I'm ahead of myself, so we've got that. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever asked God for the Holy Spirit? Just to make it abundantly clear, all of of us who have put our trust in Jesus, all of us who have been born again, have been born again by the Holy Spirit of God. We've got the Holy Spirit. That's what makes us a Christian. He's in you and he will never go away. That's his promise, to be with us always. But scripture also teaches about the fullness of the Spirit, doesn't it? And the idea is that, yes, you have the Holy Spirit in you and that is what makes you a Christian. But somehow that relationship with God through his Spirit flags a bit. And actually we're all like that in one degree or another. And we all need that daily filling of God's Spirit. And so we ask him for his Spirit. In both Ephesians and Colossians, uh, which are very closely related letters from Paul, Paul writes about this fullness. In Ephesians 3.19, Paul prays that his friends may know God's love, which he says surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And later on in chapter 4, verse 13, he writes about us all reaching unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God 
and becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, You have been given fullness in Christ. We're getting there. It's, the, it's up there now. You have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Sometimes there is talk of charismatic Christianity, charismatic churches, charismatic worship, and so on. Some people love that and some people are afraid of it. won't go into that just now. A friend of mine says that he would rather be known as a pleromatic Christian rather than, as a, rather than a charismatic Christian. Pleroma is the Greek, in the Greek text means fullness. So a pleromatic Christian is a, a full Christian, a Christian who is full of the Holy Spirit. And my friend says he would rather be known as that than as a Christian who does weird things, as some people might think, and, ex- uh, and display the gifts of the Spirit. But what would it be for all God's children to be spirit-filled people? And Jesus says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The greatest gift that God could possibly give to you and me is on offer today. Will you ask him for it? Next slide, please. When I stop talking, which is shortly, I'm just going to give you a moment of quietness so that you can think about what it would mean for you to be one of God's spirit-filled children. To enter more fully into receiving and using the gifts that the Spirit brings into our lives for the benefit of the church, basically. And then I'll lead us in a simple prayer. Nothing weird. I promise, just asking God to place within each of us a deeper thirst for knowing him. And afterwards, let me remind you, there's a place at the back for personal prayer at the back of the church, table there with chairs around it. And there will be those there who will count it a privilege to pray with you or help you as you pray. Let's bow in prayer. With hands outstretched open to God that we might receive Symbolic of what our heart's attitude is. Not the clenched fist, which doesn't let God in, but the open hands and open heart. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this amazing promise of Scripture that Jesus spoke to us. That you will give us your Holy Spirit when we ask of you. And we we just simply ask, Lord, that you will place within each of us that deep, deep thirst, a deepening thirst day by day to know you more, to receive you more, to receive you by your Spirit in our lives. And we pray that as you do that, we become more like Jesus, that we are able to receive more readily the gifts that you want us to use for your glory and for the blessing of your people and for the blessing of people in our community as we reach out individually and as church with the gospel of Christ. Fill our hands and fill our hearts with your love, with your spirit we pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.